My tears have been my food, day and night. Welcome back to Hackberry House, a podcast devoted to the Word of God and the persecuted church in North Korea. My name is Bob. This is podcast number 556. This is our weekend podcast, our North Korea visit that we do every week, Saturday and or Sunday. We're looking today at some more things that go on behind the scenes in the hermit kingdom called North Korea. These are a little bit older stories, but the things are still happening. I'm uh, looking at the book that I put together called Hackberry House, Volume 1, Two Years with North Korea, that you can get at Amazon.com. And it's uh, put together almost like a devotional with almost three, uh, 350 or so stories of... North Korea. I'm on number 88 on page 128. This is Paradise. This is Paradise. That's the name of a book. It's the personal story of Hyuk Kang, who at age 13 managed to escape from North Korea. Here's one anecdote from his tale. Quote, when I was very small, Kim Il-sung came to Onsong in person. My father told me that the whole city was cleaned from top to bottom in anticipation of the event. A massive parade had welcomed the great leader, with all the inhabitants mobilized to sing in chorus, salute in unison, and wave bouquets of flowers as he passed. Subsequently, a hymn was composed to commemorate his visit. The guest house where he had stayed near Onsong became a sort of little sanctuary with a plaque. No one could use the bed he had slept in or even enter the room. In fact, all the bedrooms throughout the country where the perfect brain had slept on his many travels have become prohibited places. No one else can sleep there. How could you occupy the same room as the sun, S-U-N, the name by which Kim Il-sung is referred to in North Korea, the sun? I have a simple announcement to make today, and I'm... I'm out of the book now. This is just Bob talking from page 129. My announcement, and how I wish and pray that even one North Korean could hear this announcement, Kim Il-sung was not and is not today the son of Chosun, S-U-N, nor is his son Kim Jong-il the son. Only to one person in all of Earth's history has that title been affixed, Jesus Christ is the Son of Righteousness that arises in the hearts of his followers all over the world. One day that sun will arise in North Korea and every nation when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, because the Kims have attempted to eclipse the true sun, a reign of darkness has descended on North Korea. But eclipses never last forever. These pretenders will move on, and the Korean people will once more know and rejoice in their true Suryang, their great and dear leader, Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, let that day come quickly. Okay, I want to go to another page now. Continue on here. Even bullets avoid him is the name of this little article. Back to fantasy land a while. And yet it's uh, pretty common in North Korea to hear stories like this. From the Korea Today Monthly Journal, I extract one of the many legends of Kim Il-sung. 
To be a North Korean means to be fed this strangeness from infancy. You say, do the Koreans really believe all this? Well, I imagine it is with him as with our Lord, who is the truth incarnate. There are some who really do believe everything that is written and pass it on to those around them. Others are guarded and questioning in their beliefs. Some disbelieve and yet keep quiet from fear. But the legends persist and must be known if one is to understand the North Korean mindset. Here's a legend. It happened at the Battle of Luaziguo during the early days of the armed struggle against the Japanese imperialists. It was a joint operation with the Chinese anti-Japanese forces. The greatest obstacle in the battle was the fort on a western hill. The battle went on for three days because of the enemy's desperate resistance from the fort. Some soldiers of the Chinese units, dispirited by the wounds suffered by their commanders, began taking to flight in a disorderly manner. Shots from the fort pinned everybody down on the ground so that nobody dared to approach the fort. At that moment, Kim Il-sung, commander of the Korean People's Revolutionary Army, shouted, We must seize the fort at any cost. He charged forward with a Mauser in his hand. The shower of machine gun bullets from the fort grazed his ears, and a bullet even pierced through his cap. Mortar shells fell all around him, but he dashed forward without pause. The KPRA men sprang to their feet and followed him. The impregnable fort fell into the hands of the KPRA in 30 minutes after a few days' resistance. A red flag was hoisted on top of the fort. After the battle, commanders and soldiers rushed up to see Kim Il-sung, and he was smiling as if nothing had happened. In the days when the KPRA was commencing the record of victory, there was already a legendary saying that even bullets avoided him. Now, for students of history, there's more than one red flag hoisted in the preceding story. More of that in another post. But for now, enjoy the picture of a smiling fighter that bullets cannot touch. And keep praying for people in bondage to this man and his son and his grandson. And then the uh, next article is about Billy Graham. Why did Billy Graham go to North Korea twice in the 90s? I'm quoting from Juche by Thomas Belke. During the last three years of Kim Il-sung's life, he was visited twice by Billy Graham. Despite claims in Graham's autobiography that his 1992 and 1994 trips to North Korea were solely for preaching the gospel, his translator, Stephen Linton, stated, <coughs> The Graham policy has not been to go there and make converts, but to be constructive in a way that raises the prestige of the Christian community generally. Belke goes on to say that while Billy was there, he, he lectured on Christianity. Graham's autobiography adds, I had just been to Pyongyang and had spent several hours with President Kim Il-sung. President Kim had been very warm to me personally, despite our differences in background, and I felt that he sincerely wanted to move forward in establishing better relations. 
I told Mr. Carter, that's ex-president Jimmy Carter, I told him all of this, and I urged him to go. Belkey says, however, upon being asked about Billy Graham's interactions with Pyongyang, John Akers, a Graham advisor, stated, I'm not sure who is using whom. When Dr. Graham presented the gospel to Kim Il-sung on January 29, 1994, less than six months before the dictator's death, Kim remained non-responsive. Then again from Just As I Am, which is his autobiography, Graham says, When reminded about Kim's mother's faith, Kim acknowledged that she had taken him to church sometimes as a boy, uh, although he admitted with a smile that he always wanted to go fishing instead. He listened respectfully, respectfully to what I had said, but made little comment. Well, they leave out there that Mr. Kim Il-sung was once the organist of that church. He went uh, fairly frequently, I would think. And by the way, he has set up his kingdom and his sons and his grandson following the same thing. You can tell that he knew a whole lot about Christianity because he patterned everything in North Korea around Christianity. It is a heresy in the making and uh, in the building. Um, who was the winner in that whole two-year episode? The Democrats Clinton and Carter in Washington, who could now be branded peacemaker, winner, Kim Il-sung for being visited by such a prominent American, and a Christian at that. Surely such a man would not be allowing his Christian citizens to be tortured and killed. What a PR bonus for Kim Il-sung. Well, we can look at the politics of it all and wince a little for Billy. We can even get concerned with what looks like a man of God cozying up to a dictator. Did he discuss Kim's prisoner situation, the concentration camps? Did he attempt to get prisoners released? Or we can take just one step backward and, and look at the bigger picture. We could say that six months before he died, Kim Il-sung was given the chance of a lifetime, the chance to inherit eternal life through Jesus Christ, offered by the man who has preached a straight gospel message to more people than anyone in history. Yes, we can talk about the strange doors that Billy Graham has gone through to preach that message and even get a bit annoyed at his seeming naivete and lack of concern about his reputation, but it won't be long, if we know Christ at all, before a still small voice will arise and remind us of the Christ that Billy served and how that Christ gained the very same reputation for doing the very same thing. And if we dare listen any longer, we'll be reminded of our own cringing, compromising avoidance of almost any gospel-sharing opportunities that come our way. No, we thank God that someone told Mr. Kim. I know he got it growing up, but he evidently forgot it, and God is gracious enough here to give him another chance. Hidden Gulag is next. The title is not my own. It belongs to David Hawk of the U.S. Committee for Human Rights in North Korea. To download his entire work free, just visit the HRNK website, Human Rights in North Korea, HRNK. Mr. Hawk, H-A-W-K, if you're looking him up, 
describes the entire hierarchy of prisons to be found in North Korea's captive nation. It's difficult for me to talk of these things since in my later years I have become mildly claustrophobic. The thought of going into an enclosure where I will be locked in for an unknown period of time, it's, it's torment even to think of it. Add to it that I will go there because I am hungry or a Christian or, or because I accidentally crumpled a newspaper with Kim's face on it, that's an unspeakable horror. First, there are the Kwanliso, to which a prisoner is banished for life with his entire family. It's run by the federal government. It's huge covering as much as four or five hundred square miles. Tens of thousands of prisoners can be in such a place. The prisoners are classified as politicals, that is, persons who said or thought something against Emperor Kim. And then there's the Kyohwaso. It's smaller. There's much hard labor. It's for those who commit what we would call normal crimes, if anything in North Korea could be called normal. Some political prisoners are mixed in. Sentences are set, but many persons die due to the hard work expected of them before their sentence is up. It's a true penitentiary. Then there's the Kamok, or Kuryoyang. These are along the northern border where escapees can get to China. When it's their misfortune to be returned to their home country, it's here that they are interrogated and punished. We'd call this simply a jail. Then there's the Jipkilso. It's for low-level crimes and for repatriated refugees. They can stay here for up to six months of hard labor. Here there's a high death rate also because of the nature of the work and the serious lack of food. Then there's the Rodong Donryonde, where sentences are even shorter, created by locals to deal with the overflow of famine-related cases. Hmm. Odd. Here we say that misfortune is worthy of compassion and aid and support. If you're hungry, you go to jail there. And there it's worthy of prison, punishment, and pain, and maybe death. What an awful place to be stuck in, wouldn't you say? And yet God has his people there. And I bring you this podcast every week to remind you of them, and to hope that you will pray for them and with them and that you will ask God if there's something you are supposed to be doing besides praying and then uh, go after that. Psalm 42.3 is where we began. Don't forget that tomorrow, that is Monday, we'll be doing Fanny Crosby again and then the Jehovah's Witnesses, Lord willing, on Tuesday. And someday soon we'll back, be back in the Psalms. I wanted to mention also before we close that uh, I used to do Charles Spurgeon a lot and I will in the future. Uh, if you really are missing Charles Spurgeon, you can go here to the Sermon Audio site and at their home page, go to Speakers, and I think on that first conglomerate of preachers, you'll see Charles Spurgeon's name. When you click on Charles Spurgeon, you'll get a website that's devoted to him. And some of the Charles Spurgeon sermons that are there, underneath them it says SWRB. That's Stillwater's Revival books, and I do sermons for them of Charles Spurgeon. Or you can, you know, you don't have to just go to mine, anyone that you want to. But that's another way we can, you and I can connect 
by listing to Spurgeon on days when it's not on my site, and it looks like it's not going to be for a little while with all these other things that we have. Psalm 42.3, my tears have been my food day and night. Think of it. 